let's talk about our wearing shorts today. No, I, you know, <laughs> just put the top half of those pictures in, not the bottom half. <laughs> so Ara actually wears shorts. Only at home. <laughs> I'm too embarrassed to wear them out. <laughs> and you had an orange Gatorade. I did have an orange Gatorade. I always have those. <laughs> and with the 22s, you need them. <laughs> So, R, it's an exciting week online and in the lab. Yeah, it is. Preseason and prep kicked off today for 2021. So we have a couple thousand onliners and a couple hundred locals going through preseason together, which is cool. That is exciting. Today was day one. So today was the 22s, which was a good wake-up call, for, <laughs> especially for our locals because they just came off testing a new program in their last week was 100% strength for squat, deadlift, bench, and military. So they were feeling a little big and slow today. <laughs> How'd the 22s go for you? It was good. I hadn't done them in a while. I've lost a lot of strength, obviously, with all this, but it was a lot of fun. You know, sweat like crazy, um, and it sneaks up on you. That second round, you know, the first round, thinking, ah, oh, it's not a problem, but that second round, definitely after that second run, definitely sneaks up on you. Oh, They're man. a lot of fun, though. Yeah. <laughs> Nate and I did it together, and I was just pouring sweat yeah. <laughs> on the renegade rows. The floor was disgusting. <laughs> Nate said I had to send him a picture. So my daughter was trying to take pictures, but I was sweating so bad she wouldn't let me touch her phone to look at them. <laughs> so I had no idea what they looked like until after the fact because she wouldn't let me see them. Oh, yeah. Because I, <laughs> I was just drenched. I was soaked. It was a lot of fun. I love those. I've always loved those. Those are a great workout. They are great. Yeah. So it's cool. This is the first year we've done that where we're rallying the entire global Mountain Tough community to do the 22s at the exact same time together. We'll all finish on September 3rd. We'll all finish preseason prep on September 3rd, which is cool because already today we've seen just the comments pouring in, uh, the feedback, the support. So it's a pretty cool community just rallying together all on one program. Yeah, I'm excited. I really am. I know. I hope it's great for the online folks too. Just for us all to be in there with them for the time that we can be is really neat. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I'm just. I'm really excited to see everybody get in there. Yeah, and I think it's important just so everyone knows too. If if you didn't start with us today, which is May 17th, um, you can always jump in a week or two later, mm -hmm. and then just your end date will bump forward. But you'll still be able to see everyone's times, uh, everyone's weights, and be able to benchmark yourself. Yeah, I think no matter what, no matter when they jump, but there's going to be so many people doing it anyway. So even if you come in late, I think you're going to enjoy it. You have a blast. Um, there'll be a lot of people with you. And like you said, you're going to see all the times that the local crew did it, and you'll know exactly where they're at. Yeah. So I'd jump in whenever, whenever you can get in there. I'd say get in there and have some fun. It's cool. So today I wanted to continue our discussion around lifelong mental toughness. You and I sat down last month and had an awesome conversation around what fuels people to be mentally tough. And we broke that down between a lot of people are fueled from a positive coach in their brain, and a lot of people are fueled by a negative coach in their brain and the pros and cons of both. And just wanted to continue that discussion and uh, kind of unpack the onion a little further and see where we can get. Awesome. Um, I did want to start with some stuff we talked about last time, and I'm really interested in this topic as a parent. So uh, I'm the father of two young girls, uh, Ava's eight and Addie's six. And since we spend so much time studying mental toughness, one of the things that struck me this week was, am I doing everything I can from a father perspective now to make sure that my kids have a strong mental toughness foundation when they get older. Yeah. And we've been, we're deep in that season right now of, uh, you know, a couple gymnastics practices a week, a couple soccer practices per week. And it really hit me in terms of what else should I be doing or am I missing anything when it comes to kind of raising them up um, from a mental toughness DNA. I don't think so. I think when it comes to children, the amazing thing about children is we're usually as parents about three steps behind them. In other words, they're adapting and moving a lot faster than we are. By the time we figure where they're at, 
they've moved on to the next chapter. Uh, one of the things I've learned over time is our children are amazing as far as being able. They have a, our role as parents really is, especially when it comes to mental toughness, one of the mistakes we make sometimes is we assume the way I became mentally tough is what they need to do to become mentally tough as well. Our children are on a little bit of a different path than we are. They're in a different world than we, were, than we grew up in. And they also have different passions and ideas and thoughts than we do. So the biggest lesson I learned with our three kids as I went, and I didn't do it right, I had to learn as I went, was really being able to find out who that child was and then motivating them for where they were and moving them forward in the thing that was their passion at that time and then helping them pursue that. The key lessons being you don't quit when you start something, pushing through adversity, but in their lane, because it's different for all of them. You know, my daughter is amazing at art, artistry. That has been her passion. Um, for a little while she did sports, but this is more her passion. Um, my middle son is probably a little bit more, um, not in the cerebral side, more on the active side. And the older son is much more on the cerebral side. They all have these different likes and dislikes. Yeah. So I used to really want to push my older son to do more physical training, make him mentally tough. Yeah. Just wasn't motivated. It wasn't working very well. <laughs> yeah. But when I found out the things that he did have a passion for and then help him drive down the road to pursue those passions and then instill the same lessons learned, whether it is, again, you hit, an, you hit a, an obstacle, moving through the obstacle and not quitting, working on, okay, you failed at this, now you've gotta get back up and do it again. What did you learn from that failure? Now let's move forward and apply those lessons going forward. All the same lessons for mental toughness can be applied. I just had to change the lane that I was used to applying them in because each one of them was following a different course yeah. for their life. That was actually a big, I think, a big learning turning point for me when I figured that out. I'm not making little me's. Mm -hmm. I'm really helping them become bigger thems. Yeah. And so learning that process and then instilling those same lessons learned in them on their path, it's a little bit more work for a parent because then I have to learn a little bit more about what their passion is. You know, when you're sitting with a five-year-old and they're telling you all about this stuff, yeah. it's hard, you know, they're, they're, they're all over the map mm -hmm. and they could talk for an hour but you've got to sit and pick up, find the patterns in there and you'll find the things that are sparking their brain. And so as a parent, you're learning those things. And then, you know, I had to learn the, I was, I can't even remember the shows. I was watching all these cartoon shows. I became an expert at all these kids, Mario Kart and all that kind of stuff. But I, I needed to learn where they were and meet them where they were so that I could motivate them inside that lane. And so again, I was a parent, I, I became a man child. I, I've learned to play <laughs> Xbox. I'm learning those are things that, you know what, I did not have the ability to understand until yeah. I did it with them and built the relationship with them. And then I was able to find that lane and learn about that lane, which then allowed me to motivate them along that lane mm -hmm. because they are not following the same path as me when it comes to the physical, the um, military side. Yeah. They've got different passions. That was a turning point for me. And I think with our kids, it's really important for us as parents to get to know them. And that requires time. And as men, I will tell you, as men, when it comes to, especially with our daughters, one of the things I learned a long time ago, your daughter will marry somebody that looks just like you. And so for me as a husband and a father, and I started thinking about that, what example do I want to set at home for her to marry when she gets old enough. What kind of a person would I be comfortable giving my daughter to? Yeah. That's a high bar for yeah. me. I don't know about others, but for me, that's a really high bar. And, yeah. and so that became, I really needed to get to know her because the relationship between a daughter and a father is absolutely critical in her security, in her um, livelihood and confidence. That relationship there can make her break her through her teen years and into her next into that young adulthood years yeah. and so for me forging that relationship early was a critical aspect of learning all about the things that she liked learning about at that time if it was dolls the dolls the 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 kitty shows okay the kitty shows and, yeah. and learning to watch those and yeah. it's not manly stuff to do yeah. but it was building a relationship that would go a lifetime to build her to give her the confidence 
that I can then instill mental toughness into. Yeah. But if she lacks the confidence and the security at home, then it's going to be really hard to instill any kind of mental toughness. And with all the children, when they become teens, your relationship with them will be in large part, or at least in part, dependent upon how well you forge the relationship as children. Yeah. So while it seems silly to be doing these things with them as children, I have learned that they remember those things when they're teens, and it makes it a little bit easier to connect. Now, if you didn't do it with them as children, you can still connect with them as teens, yeah. but it goes back to finding out where are they at, what are those passions, get the time to listen and hear, go spend some time watching what they're participating in yeah. so that you can now walk their lane. That is the picture of exactly how, well, Christ did it with us. I mean, he met us where we were and then slowly walks with us to guide us to where he wants us to go. Yeah. And it's the same thing as a parent. That's the example. We meet them where they are. We got to know about them and follow. Then I can put in the mental toughness aspects because the relationship is there. So when my older son, he did an internship, it did not go very well for him. Mm -hmm. um, but I went and I met and I got feedback um, because I, and I had a, I knew that he did not do well. Yeah. So when I met with the folks that he's working for, it was important for me not to tell them anything. And I made it clear, I'm not, I want to learn from them because I want to help him grow from this. Yeah, and so they gave me a lot of feedback and then I sat down with him and we worked through it. So now when he goes to this next job, you know, he'll do better. He, 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 he was like, man, I didn't realize all that stuff. But again, that was me saying, okay, you fell on this one, but now let's pick it up going to learn. We're going to apply for another one that's going to be a little bit tougher than the last one, but you're going to do well at it now because you've learned the lessons from this first one. Yeah. And so it, again, inside his lane, we we're just picking up those lessons learned. That's just what I've experienced. I'll let you know how it goes as they <laughs> progress. But yeah. right now, that's just some of the things I've learned. No, that's powerful. It definitely stood out to me when you said we're not trying to create little me's because I yeah. think that's a trap that I get caught in all the time. It's a, it's like you should be you know, hiking with me, shooting your bow with me, working out with me. Those are the things I like. And so then I get caught where I'm frustrated if they're not that into it as I am. Yeah. Instead of thinking about their passions and, and tailoring around that. It's tough to figure out too. Yeah. And you have to, you have to that's why those conversations become so important because it's where I learn the things that are their passions so I can steer them towards it. So, um, and again, when they're younger, they're talking a mile a minute. Yeah. So somewhere in that mile a minute conversation, you've got to zone in just enough to figure out what some of the threads are inside that mile a minute. And it is hard to stay attached, but that's the beauty of it is you start to see this this little person start coming out of there yeah. and it's in there. It's just, they're just coming out in scattered thoughts, but you start picking up on the beauty that is that child. Yeah. And then it becomes kind of cool as a parent because you can start to relate to them as you start to find these things that really is, are their passions yeah. and they bring us out of our comfort zone. Like I said, yeah. what video games and me are not very good. My kids <laughs> had to teach me how to play them. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun for them. And then my daughter one day said, it's so tough when you go when you guys grow up. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but you know, she's like, you're ready to go on your own now. You can play on your own now. I said, like, well, I kind of did this so we can play together. <laughs> but you know, again, they that's learn just so fast. They, they learn really fast. They yeah. kick my teeth in on a regular basis. I can't keep up. Yeah. But at the same time, it's funny because it gives us something that okay, they have a passion for this. All right, I'm gonna have to learn how to do it so that I can be part of that with them. Yeah. If that makes sense. That's cool. And be part of that journey with them. Yeah. And I think that's where the relationship comes in for you to be able to build the mental toughness side because they, children listen to their parents, they watch their parents. And that's something else too that I think is really critical as parents. The number one thing they will follow is your example. And even though we don't see it as parents, kids naturally buck against their parents when they get into the certain age group. Yeah. That is normal. But what we as parents don't realize is they are still watching and they will always watch. And watch your kids closely sometime when they're not thinking you're watching them. And you'll see that they're doing things that they saw you do. Yeah. They're actually mimicking your mannerisms. Their, their life will very much be geared towards what they see you doing. And so mental toughness for them 
also is demonstrated in their parents. When we don't quit, when we stay the course, when we stay faithful to our spouses, when we set an example at home and how we treat our spouses and how we treat our family and how we handle stress, your kids see all of that. And, And while they may not always tell you how much they respect it, one of these days as a parent, they will tell you and they will turn around and say, dad or mom, I just want you to know how much I respect. I watched you go through this. And it's amazing because you'll never see it coming. Mm -hmm. You'll think you were an absolute soup sandwich. You will think that um, there was, they had no clue, but you will wake up one day in the middle of, it'll be, you'll have no preparation and it'll just come out dad or mom thank you, I saw that. And you'll be like, wow, they were watching. So you have to stay the course as a parent and never give up, no matter how much it seems, like maybe they're on board, maybe they're not, or they're watching. And so if you're lacking a why outside, this is a why. Mm -hmm. You have a why. Be as mentally tough, as straightforward as you can be, because your children are going to be, you'll be amazed when they're in their 20s and 30s, how they're going to look back. And one of these days, they're going to tell you the impact you had on them. And that's really, they have to see that displayed in their, in their life. So it has to be consistent. Yeah. So we have to step outside our comfort zones. And what tends to happen sometimes is we're at work, we got our guards up, you know, we're being careful with the people around us. And it can be tiring. Yeah because you're constantly on your guard watching how you speak and watching how you carry yourself because you've got people around you. And then we tend to let our guard down when we get home. Really hard thing to do um, where it's just natural. We get home and we want to relax. But that's when we do things, and that's probably when we have the biggest impact is when we're home. And so we have to find ways of getting rid of the negative energy you have from the day You've got to retool, and you've, when you walk in the door, it's game on again. And it is, you are setting an example. So whether, again, with your, with your spouse, it is taking that step back to really actively become the spouse that you need to be to set an example. Handling your stress. You're exhausted from work. Find a way to retool and then spend some time with the kids. Really hard to do, it's right, when you're exhausted. Yeah. I mean, I used to work in D.C. I'd leave the house about 3.30 and 4 in the morning. I'd get home at about 8, 9 o'clock at night. I was exhausted. Yeah. But, Patty, I would try to decompress on the drive home. And then because I was working at the old garden, it was just, that unit is constantly moving. Um, and then Patty would keep the kids up until I came home. And so I could see them and we'd eat dinner together, even though it was late, right? We'd eat dinner together and they're going, you know, 100 miles an hour. Everybody's talking. Patty's talking. The kids are talking. I'm wiped. I've been going for about a good 16 hours by then. But it's, it's, you know, that was, it's game on. And I'm talking and I got to engage. And then she would take the kids and she'd put them to bed. And I'd have about 35, 45 minutes of quiet time. Then I'd, you know, I have to hit the rack or whatever. Yeah. But she made a point, and I made a point. That was a really critical time. Dinner yeah. time, we're all doing it together, um, and the kids were excited about it. But that's hard, right? That's we, cool, yeah. The last thing we want to do is come in and engage again yeah. after working 12 or 14 hours. But this is critical for them to see that your home is as important to you as what you're doing outside. So when you come home, you let your guard down, your mouth runs a little more than it should. You're not doing the things that you could be doing. What you're doing is you're setting a pattern now that the only time they see you is when your guard is down and now, yeah, grouchy, um, maybe complacent, tiny bit on the lazy side. They're seeing that side of you. And you have to remember, this is all they see of you. They don't see you in the 12 hours a day when you're out there, you know, changing the world. They see this guy. So it's important for this person that you see, that they see for that X number of hours a week to be on, on target, if yeah. that makes sense. You're going to have times you're just going to sit and put your feet up. You need that time. The kids need to understand that, but they need to understand that's feet up time, not all the time. Yeah. So like, for instance, my wife and I, um, we had this thing where we would have coffee together pretty much every night. So when I was working a job where we could do that, right? Yeah. So I'd come home at a reasonable hour. And then it was like, okay, every night she and I would have coffee. The kids knew. So they would, they knew when mommy and dad had coffee, they disappear, they do their thing. 
Um, they would keep themselves occupied with some stuff we give them. Yeah. And they knew, leave us alone during that time. Yeah. And that was our time. Yeah. And so it was automatic. It just kind of got ingrained in our house. Mom and dad are having coffee, we're off. As soon as we're done, it's game on, right? Yeah. So that was my feed up, feed up time. It was patty on my time to have some time together. But as soon as it was over, all right, game on, here we go. Yeah. And, all right, daddy, ready? Yeah, I'm ready, yeah. let's go. But you, you know, you have to make those so they know, they can see the difference. Yeah, dad needs a break, let's give him a break and then leave him alone. But then that breaks over yeah. and now we're, we're off and running. That's a good practical tip because otherwise you can't talk to your spouse because your time. kids are so excited to see you. Yeah. And then you just can't even have a single conversation. It's impossible. Yeah. And then the couples drift apart. Yeah. So you have no relationship left. You can't walk through decisions together yeah. because your kids dominate the entire household. So for us, it was really important. And we set that up that way. Yeah. When they were really little from earlier, early on, yeah. those are the, there were two times that Patty and I guarded my Bible time in the morning that they knew if myself or Patty were reading the Bible in the morning, automatically leave mom and daddy alone. That's their... Yeah. That's their that's their that's their time with yeah. the Lord, so that became this kind of this block time, um, no matter when it was during the day, and then our coffee time. And so the kids, from an early age, knew um, those two times they didn't mess with. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle, yeah, they could mess with those times unless we were working or something. So yeah. th that block makes a huge difference because the kids realized, hey, the Lord's important to Dad. So when you know you'll find them over time. Yeah. With their little Bible over there reading yeah. it too, you know, because yeah. it's important to dad. He's doing it every day. Yeah. And so they start picking up those habits. But either way, they know that's that that's that your time. Mm -hmm. And then they know that mommy's important to daddy too. And daddy's important to mommy. Yeah. So, okay, when they're together doing this, we leave them alone because that's their time. That's cool. But then you gotta, you're going to have to tool and get in there and give them other time. Yeah. So then you have to, you got to turn the switch on and drink a Powerade or a Fit Aid and get your energy on and get in there and do something with them afterwards so that that relationship is still there. Yeah. And they know so there's they other time. Yeah, they have their time. It's yeah. not like this is exclusive. They never have any time. That's why you drink coffee at nine o'clock at night. I drink coffee all the time. <laughs> <laughs> there's no limit to how much coffee you can drink. <laughs> so you and I have talked a lot about this because when COVID hit the country, Lindsay and I made the decision to homeschool the girls. Yeah. And so this is our first year through homeschool. But you and Patty made the decision to homeschool a long time ago. We did. And homeschooled three kids. Yeah. Um, how did you guys make that decision? How has it gone? What are your thoughts? We, you know, there's pros and cons. In our case, with the older kids, um, we put them in school. We, we mixed it. So when we were in an environment where the school, we trusted the school and we had a relationship with the school, then we let them be in school. So when they were younger, we had them in the local school here, the public school. Um, it, was, it was great. The kids loved it. The teachers were good. Um, and the teachers were really good. And so there was a period of time where I was like, that's great. They can enjoy it. Then it got to a point where it started to encroach a little bit in areas that we were just not as comfortable with. Um, and she said, all right, it's just time for us to, to pull them out. And so we went to the homeschool route. So they, most of our kids experienced a little bit of both. It depended on whether there was a school available when they were younger. Yeah. And then um, we went to the homeschool route after that. Oh, and we, we have an online program. We have them in. And it goes well. I mean, they learned a ton. Honestly, their learning is probably a little bit it, it, a little bit, some of the programs out there are really good academically. So, they, you know, they learn a ton. The hard part is obviously the social side of it. So you yeah. need to find outlets. You know, if it's not, if you're not in the, if there's not a church function they can go to, like your kids are doing soccer and gymnastics, yeah. those things become important to get that social side of it. Yeah. But nowadays there are so many home group, homeschool groups out there. Yeah, stuff. there's tons of them. Yeah. So getting that interaction with other kids their age isn't as hard to do as it would have been say 15 20 years ago mm -hmm. so i would say that if you can do both and if you're comfortable homeschooling them then for us it was the best answer um, we went with the video route where they had the classes so my wife and i didn't have to physically teach them we just had to check and make sure they're doing all their work and that they were staying up with everything again some students do real well with that yeah. others really struggle with it you know and you got to get creative. Yeah. 
because some kids will sit there and they'll do their eight hours of school and they're good. They're organized. They're good. Other ones, you know, they're pinging off the wall. Yeah. And, you know, and our kids are the same way. One would sit and do it great. The other one is going to be everywhere. So you're going to have to get really creative on how you're going to keep them engaged with yeah. school. It's not for everybody, but it takes some work on figuring out what's the best format. Again, you need to know the child. You know what motivates them. You know how they operate the best. Um, and you, as their parent slash teacher, need to understand how to manage that personality. Yeah. So how this student learned, and it's as a teacher, as I, as, I, as I teach on campus too, students learn differently. Mm -hmm. And so I need to have something that applies to all of them, but at the same time, I need to be ready because we're gonna have to adapt some things. Some of them are gonna learn things differently than others, yeah. and your children know different. So this child will really excel given the structure and off they go. Another child is gonna need a little bit more structure and a little bit more flexibility in order to make them work. Okay, find out what that is, you know that child, and you can make it work really, really well without pulling your hair out. Yeah. You can do it, but again, it requires, okay, I need to know my child, I know what motivates them, I know, I know when they're, I know when they're, for lack of a better term, their crazy times are, right? Because yeah. some kids get up early and they're just good. Yeah. Other ones are going to be the biggest grumpy bear. <laughs> and you just got to learn how to navigate that. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. And, yeah. And I think it's doable. The best families I've seen that did it 10 times better than us were families that had a ton of kids. The older kids would do it with the younger kids, would do it with the younger kids. It was so wild yeah. watching them do it. Yeah. I was like, wow, I wish I could do that. But they had this whole team thing worked out where they, the, the older kids would take care of the younger ones. And if you can do that, you've really done something, I think. Yeah. I, I never managed to pull that off. <laughs> Just have to have eight or nine kids. You need eight or nine kids, and I have three. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to ask you about today, you've shared the story with me in the past, and it, it really ties into the conversation we had last time we sat down together last month. And last month we were talking about very well-known mentally tough people that we know um, a lot of times are fueled by uh, negative experiences in their childhood and then they, they use those experiences to fuel them through physical endeavors, which can work really well for the short term. Um, related to that, you've talked a little bit about your childhood with your mom and then how you had this kind of life-changing moment where you were finally able to forgive your mom. Yeah. Um, could you share that with us today? And, and I mentioned before, one of the things that at some point you have to cross the barrier from, you stop running from things and you start running to things. Mm -hmm. So the anger fuel is generally you're running you're fueled by an anger because you're running from something. It's fueling you. At some point, that can fuel you for a long period of time, but it doesn't fill you. At some point, you need to get to that, I'm running towards something. Right now, I'm getting somewhere, and, and this stuff back here is getting left behind. In my case with my mom, we had a really difficult time. So my parents divorced when I was younger, and it didn't go well between the two of them. And so what happened, me, since I was very much like my dad, I became the lightning rod for a lot of her anger and bitterness. And, you know, I now being older, I can understand. I wasn't an easy kid either because I didn't do well with the divorce either. And I was definitely high strung, high energy and high intensity. So, you know, we had this combination. We had this just powder keg at home between her just frustration and everything because of what she had gone through uh, with my dad. And it just basically was a really bad breakup and she just kind of got you know left behind and he left and then um and she saddled with the two kids and on top of it i am 100 miles an hour and i'm not good with this either yeah. so the two of us were it was a powder keg and it it went to the you know there was definitely some 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 beat downs there physically and everything else until such point that at that time her boyfriend got so um worried about what was happening because he had gotten involved a couple times and having to hold me down um, he was like, we have got to get this kid off somewhere. So, because yeah. this, this is going to get bad. So they sent me off to military school and involuntarily, <laughs> it's the only thing left for me to do. Um, and so I go to military school, you know, and I'm stranded there. And that's a tough environment. It's basically reform school for boys. Um, and it was a really difficult environment. And it was, you know, I used to sleep with cans stacked up in front of the door and I sleep on the top bunk with a broomstick by my bed because you just Jeez. never know what's going to happen at night. Yeah. 
Um, and it was just, again, another growing experience. But so my mom and I never really got through past that phase. At the end of that year, my dad um, said, all right, you, you need to come live with me um, because he felt terrible about what I was going through. So I went to live with him for most of my high school years. But the funny thing was, I had gotten so comfortable in that environment by then that when I finally, even after my last year, uh, my dad was in Switzerland, so I got to live there, which is really cool. Um, but then when we came back to the US, I was like, I wanna go back to military school. I just, Structure. I couldn't fit anywhere else. My, my brain had gotten rewired somehow and all of that. So yeah. I wanted to go back to military school. So he sent me to a military school again. And then I went to Purdue University and started the, the whole army thing. But um, the relationship between my mom and I was never, ever, ever good after that. So I held that bitterness for most of my life. Um, my, my whole family would say, oh, I never smiled. And I really didn't smile. Darth Vader was born out of that environment. Um, and on top of that, really, she spent the rest of her life, which is unfortunate, and I look back at it, because she spent the rest of her life trying to make up for that early part of her life. So her whole life after that, with me, her whole relationship was trying to build a relationship that I was having none of, even when we came to visit her. And that was a shame. It was a shame for her to have to live with that guilt and the shame and the stigma of knowing that she had caused a lot of what I was now doing. Yeah. Um, and then it was a shame for me because I was lacking a relationship with my mom and I really had a hard time being around her. Um, my wife, who I met in Panama, was the icebreaker between there. My mom loved her to death. Yeah. And that's, and actually everyone says, that's when I started to smile for the first time. <laughs> so the Lord was starting to break me down to get ready for salvation. But, um, but that helped, but it didn't help the bitterness in me towards my mom. Uh -huh. And then we got to where the last six months of her life, um, she was, she had cancer. She hidden it from us for quite a number of years. And then finally it was getting to the point that, okay, it's, it's gonna take over. So I asked to be stationed in DC so I could be with her towards the tail end and take care of her because she was kind of on her own. Um, and so I, I still wanna do the right thing for my mom, but I still didn't have that, the love connection wasn't there. Yeah. So we kind of nursed her through this. By this time, her bitterness and anger had really, it wasn't getting better. Um, so it became a really rough road for the two of us because I'm caring for somebody that is really at this point in the last stage of their life and not, it's not going well for her, which is making it hard on me because I already have this bitter, latent bitterness, bitterness going on. So this went on for the six months. Um, but the week before she died, uh, the last week, I wanted, her to I wanted her to get to know the Lord. No matter what, I wanted that. Yeah. Um, and so I was able to sit down with her the the last lucid night she had, I shared with her again the gospel. She walked through it with me and accepted Christ. But that was the last lucid moment I had. I still had not released my, yeah. I had not released my, my bitterness towards her. I think she knew it. She accepted Christ, but, and I was went home that night like normal. But when I came to see her the next day, she was no longer mom. She was... It was literally the next day. It was so fast. I found her in the hospital room they had her in. She was swollen. She was incoherent. She couldn't talk. She was just zoned out alive, but it was no longer mom. Um, and somebody had given her this white teddy bear and we still to this day do not know where it came from, but she was holding that teddy bear and her arm was all swollen holding that thing. And I realized I had there was I would never again have a conversation with my mom. She was in the last stages, and they yeah. they saw her. And I called the nurse, and they looked at her and said, "All right, hospice." And so they sent her to hospice, and we had a few more days in there. Um, and I remember it was almost like the Lord when I saw her on that bed, and she was a child at best. And I remember I saw her, and it was like the Lord almost said, "Do you forgive her now? Are you ready now to forgive her?" And that experience never left me. I've never forgotten that image of seeing her like that and the Lord reminding me, you're holding on to something. Are you ready now to finally let it go? Yeah. Um, and I think at that time, I finally did. I don't know that it was a point that I could point to that 
I was past it. But I do know that night, that day I saw her, changed everything for me. Finally, I was ready to say, okay, yeah, I, wow. Yeah. We've lost a lot of time. What year was that? Oh, heck. Um, that would have been, let's see, we got there in 2002. It had to be 2002, 2003. 2003. She died in January. We got stationed in D.C. in 2002. So she had to have died in 2003, February, probably, because she was trying to, we thought she might hold out and spite my dad by dying on his birthday. We really, he was, she was getting really close. Oh, and and um, we thought, well, that'd be the final act of defiance right there. And she made it all the way to close, but January of 2000, it had to be 2003 that she died. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because if you tie back to this idea of being a good father, for sure, I think the trajectory of your life and you getting saved has definitely changed the experience your kids have now yeah. versus the experience they would have had if that didn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. All the chains that were broken that yeah. didn't have to be broken is yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, the Lord is the dynamic that changed everything. Before I got saved, my kids are very young, but I was a different guy. And there's no two ways about it. I really was not the person I would like to have been. I was okay. I was a good dad, yeah. but I became a better dad when I got saved. And so that became a huge change for me. Obviously, it would be for anybody, um, especially with my background. The funny thing is, and one of the things I think we don't always realize as adults, is the stuff that we experience as children, it does follow you. Um, and so even after I got saved, there were a lot, the Lord has been working on me for 15, 20 years now to start even still scrubbing some of that stuff out. It takes time. Yeah. And the Lord, over time, has to unpack some of that. So the more baggage that comes from your childhood, even with salvation, the more work the Lord is going to have to do to unpack and then cleanse. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think I didn't quite expect. I didn't realize how much baggage had been stored up. I yeah. just, I didn't, you know. And the Lord is so patient that he just slowly unpacked one or two at a time, yeah. dealt with those things, cleansed those things out, and then we worked to the next thing and the next thing. Because really, you can't become who you're going to be until we really have dealt with some of the stuff of who we used to be. Yeah. And the more that stuff's been dug in deep, the more work it's going to take the Lord to get it out or it's going to keep affecting who you're going to be. It just keeps coming back, right? Yeah. The, the negativity will come back out in ways you don't expect it to. The, yeah. the uh, bitterness will come out that you don't expect or fear or a discouragement or, or an actual lack of security, um, lack of confidence will come out and you can't figure out why. Yeah. Sometimes you can trace that back to something that happened a long time ago that now the Lord needs to clean out. So I used the example yesterday, um, you know, when, when it says, uh, John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's funny because we love the first part of that. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, which is great. Yeah. But it's the second part that's just as important because now that the sin's been forgiven, something caused that. The Lord wants to get down in there now, and that's the future part of the work, is where he's forgiven it, so you can release it, but he's still going to want to get in there and deal with what caused it, yeah. because that's going to keep bringing it, causing it to come up yeah. until we give him a chance to unpack it and then cleanse it, because we can't cleanse it on our own. And so what happens is, we're in some cases, we are running a race where we're constantly trying to fight these demons from the past on our own. We bite our tongue. We try to fight our depression or discouragement. And we're trying to fight them in our own power yeah, by, yourself. by yourself. And the thing is, the Lord didn't ask you to do it by yourself. He is the one that's unpacking it for you so that he can, because he's the only one that's got the power to cleanse it out, yeah. which is why he's bringing it, is allowing it to come up. But it's going to have to come all the way up to him. And he'll put the people around you to help you, to help you walk through it. Yeah. And then if there's people that don't belong there, Satan's going to put some people there too. You need to get them out. But yeah. um, the, he's going to put the right people around you at the right time, but he's going to want you to unpack it. It's kind of like, 
I was using the example yesterday, right? If you've ever cleaned out your garage or your closet, it sounds like a good idea yeah. until you unpack all the stuff in there that you've been walking by <laughs> for the last 10 years. Yeah. And then you get that thousand yard stairs like, oh, why did I start keeps this thing? Going. Yeah, it just keeps going, right? But in a way, you get that thousand yard stairs saying, oh, I don't want anyone to deal with this. Let's just pack it back up and maybe we'll just deal with it when we move. But the reality is now that you've unpacked it for the first time, you're actually seeing what's in there and what needs to be gotten rid of. Yeah. And it's the same thing that happens with us. But that first part looks horrible. It looks messy. Anytime you clean anything, it just it's so bad when you start the process of pulling everything out of the closet because you get overwhelmed with the sheer volume of junk that's been in there and you don't feel like dealing with it. Yeah. But if you stay the course, what you're going to find is it'll have been well worth it because the end result is that closet or that garage is gonna be so much cleaner, so much more organized. Yeah. The junk will be gone. It will no longer be taking up space. And you can now utilize this thing to the full potential of what it was created for. Yeah. And the same thing happens with us. It looks so messy sometimes when God opens that area up and he unpacks something that you hadn't dealt with for years. And it's just sitting in there stored. Yeah. But the reality is he's unpacking it for the express purpose of now helping you cleanse it, deal with it, and eliminate it yeah. so that now you've got that space open back up for him to help you go that full potential now because that thing's been eating. It's been a rock in your shoe or a rock in your rucksack that you've been limping over for the last 15, 20 years yeah. that he's now exposing. So your enemy, the devil, is obviously going to make you feel less worthy yeah. when he shows that to you. But Shame. yeah, he's going to make you ashamed of it. Yeah. But God's like, I didn't expose it for that. Yeah. So I expose it so we can clean, cleanse it. Yeah. And, and that outlook changes things. It makes our relationship with him much healthier because we realize what is coming out is exactly there so that he can clean it out. Yeah. So we don't have to hold on to it. But that's a process. So our childhood has a huge effect on that. When I do marriage counseling, a lot of times as we start talking about the relationship, I'll go back to the parents. And yeah. unfortunately, many times I will find, it's like I said, your daughter will marry somebody that looks very much like a relationship with you. Yeah. And so unfortunately, many times I find women in very negative marriages, negative situations, I start walking them back and then I realize, and we go back and we start talking about the relationship with their father. And then we got to unpack all that before they can unpack the stuff with their husband. Because this is what's really causing a lot of the, the problem. It's generational. It's generational, right? Yeah. They're, they're marrying what they experienced. And it's hard, it's yeah. really, really hard. Unless they broke that somewhere along the way, then they broke the pattern and went into a really good relationship. Yeah. But it's important to unpack that and at least identify if it's still there. Yeah. And if, it's, if it is, then we deal with it before you go on. Um, so those childhood things, if they're positive, it's wonderful. And we as parents have the opportunity to do a lot of positive. Mm -hmm. You can do a lot of harm too, but you're not going to do any permanent harm if you're trying to walk the walk the best you can. Your mistakes are not going to do permanent harm. Yeah. It's when you stop trying that you'll do permanent harm. Yeah. But your mistakes, the things we talked about, you won't do any permanent harm to your children. You're going to do some stuff that's stupid and your kids are going to laugh about it yeah. with you years down the road. But you're, yeah, you're not going to do any permanent harm to them. The permanent harm comes when we don't make that effort to connect with them where they are, build that relationship, um, and have that relationship to where we can make mistakes in there. And your kids are fine. My kids will sit and talk. When my kids talk about me, it's hilarious because they've got <laughs> me down to a T. But it's, they're not scarred from it. Um, but you can do some things that would scar them if you're not carefully watching what you do. And those are the things you want to avoid as a parent. Yeah. If you happen to experience them as a child, the best answer is let the Lord bring it out, unpack it. If it's buried, you're just going to keep, you're going to keep limping on that thing until you let him start cleansing it. I mean, my mom, it was first the bitterness yeah. and the lack of forgiveness. He dealt with that. But then there's also the insecurity pieces, it's the Darth Vader piece, it's the, it's the running out on anger. All of that has to be flipped over yeah. time. And it took him a long time to start bringing each one of those things out and dealing yeah. with each of those things and slowly getting me over those things. And he's really patient if you let him do it. Yeah. But you have to walk the road with him, if that's, that makes any sense. Yeah, that's super helpful. Yeah, I hope it helps. I think as we wrap things up today, that was an incredible insight for me um i think in closing what would you tell the the dads out there that are 
that are struggling to get off the couch. Maybe they're going home and drinking. They're yeah. not engaging. They want to. They just don't have the energy and, and just can't get plugged in. This is really hard. Once you've fallen down into that pattern, it's really hard because it is a pattern and it's become almost a self-looking ice cream cone because first of all, inside, you're not feeling that, that great about yourself to begin with. Then every time you look in the mirror, it reinforces, okay, I, I'm not looking so great. Every time you go home and don't do what you should do as a father, that makes you even more depressed, which now causes you to do less things as a father. And a lot of this goes down to, it's a self-looking ice cream cone where each little thing is taking you further down the road to another little thing. Yeah. And, and you really don't feel confident enough or have the strength to start picking up. Um, I think there are a few things for those guys, and even the guys who aren't there at this point. I've hit a lot of those low points in life. I'm about to go through another one. Right? Four months I've been stuck in this thing. We're going to cut it again on Thursday. Two more months and another cast and building back out of it again, right? Oh. So I'm going to go and, and I'm going to look in my mirror after a couple of weeks. And at 53 years old, you don't have to do anything for your body to go south. I mean, I just watch you eat and my body goes south. So I don't have to do anything. So the lack of, of activity is going to absolutely destroy my body in the next few weeks, uh, especially after the last four months where I haven't been able to do as much as I want to anyway. So now I'm going to look in the mirror and I'm going to see that guy again. And I'm going to start to see the marshmallow guy coming out again. And I'm going to be like, okay. So two things are going through my head. A, I'm discouraged because I'm going to see, man, you know how much work it's going to take me to start all over yet again. And then B... I'm going to be like, the temptation is going to be, well, you're 53 years old. Why are you even bothering? Go ahead and become a marshmallow. Ah, yeah. Everybody else is. The reality is that's not why you look in the mirror. You're looking in the mirror because that is, becomes, you know what? I don't want to be that guy. And so for me, it becomes a matter of saying, okay, I'm going to see that, and it's going to discourage me, and I'm going to see that, and I know I screwed up again, and I'm going to see that, and I know, again, I'm not the guy that I want to be. Yeah. So then I'm going to put that behind and I'm not going to let that guy drive me. I'm going to say, but at the same time, I know if I make the decision to drive forward, find a way to get back in the gym, find a way to do the things I need to do, this guy is going to go away. My whole job right now is to deny him any power on me in that regard. And so, okay, he's there now. I'm not running from him. That's who it is now. I'm going over here, and one day I won't have to worry about him anymore because I'm going to train. I'm going to get myself off the couch. Yeah. For fathers, it is a similar pattern where you're going to look and you're going to see a guy that you don't necessarily want to be. But that guy is the guy you need to say, I'm not going to stay that guy. I'm going to become somebody else. And going after that one is going to eliminate this one. But you have to go after this one. Choose that guy. Who is that guy you want to be? And get around people that are like that. Yeah. So if you're one of the guys that's stuck now in a little bit of a rut, in a little bit of a hole, you'll find yourself gravitating to people in that same place. Yeah. That's not the best, healthiest place to be. It's a blind leading the blind. Yeah. You need to start hanging around with people who maybe aren't like that. Get into our mountain tough forums more. You can't eat the whole pie at once. I'm going to look at that guy in the mirror, and I'm going to see every aspect of my body that has gone to marshmallow stage. I'm going to see every mistake I've made over the last 10 years. You will see everything, right? Yeah. But you can't eat that whole pie at once. Yeah. It's a process. So pick one thing. Okay, I'm going to just start working. I'm going to try the 22s, for example. Yeah. Right? Instead of drinking today, I'm going to go do the 22s. Yeah. And it's going to beat my tail into the ground. Yeah. And it's going to, it's, I'm going to sling snot, and I'm going to get halfway through it. But you'll have done something today that you never did the last few weeks. Yeah. You made a decision to not do what you normally do, and I'm just going to try this. Yeah. Tomorrow, you're going to do the next workout. Maybe it's the 600s. So maybe you'll do 200 of the 600s because that's as far as you can get right now. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter because you've built another habit. And once again, you didn't do what you normally do. Now you're doing something else instead. And then little by little, you're going to keep doing that. But next week when you do the 22s, you'll probably do the whole thing and realize it wasn't as hard as last week. And next week, instead of 200 out of the 600s, you'll probably do 400 out of the 600s. Yeah. And then by the third week and the fourth week, this guy over here is not going to have as much power anymore. This one over here is going to start having more power. Yeah. And little by little, you start gravitating there. Same thing goes with your energy coming home. A lot of guys get drained at work. Um, either the work environment's not the greatest, um, their personality isn't a great fit for their work environment, and they're stuck in that environment now. What I use is that we use personality profiles. You get 
energy drain through the course of the day. So find ways on the weekends or on the way home or after work to re-engage energy. If you're a high extroversion person, right, got to be around people, and you work in a job that's not allowing it very much, then find a way with you and your spouse to get some extroversion time in. Go out and do something that refills your tank so now you have the energy to be with your kids. You're being drained simply by the fact that you're not not inside your personality. If you're an introvert and you're with people all day, then you're exhausted by the time you come home. And the last thing you want is four more people, right? Because you're exhausted. So you have to find a way to fill that tank. So get that alone time. If it's the gym time, then get the gym time to replenish and refuel that tank. So now I can go home and spend some time in the environment. It is huge, right? So you need to know your personality. You need to find those refueling points. For some guys, it's the weekends. All right, I'm going to go. I'm going to get a hunt in, or I'm going to go and get some archery shooting in. I'm going to go to the range and do some shooting. That's my release time. I'm going to go do that and schedule it. But then I'm coming home, and but I'm, I'm ready, right? I'm charged. But you have to replace something. So find that thing that is not doing you any good and replace it with something else that will actually recharge you. Not finishing the workout is not going to be a bad thing. That doesn't make you a failure. It means that you actually succeeded because you did 200 meters, even if you did half the 22s, well, that's 60 something reps more than doing no 22s. So you went 60 feet further than before. And you're gonna get an endorphin rush. Your kids saw you work out. Yeah. So already you made huge steps. Already you made huge steps. And if you're that guy that's living down here thinking that I can never earn that respect, just get up and do this for a while. Yeah. And one of these days, your kids are going to look back at you and they're going to, and again, they're going to be in their 20s or 30s. And they're going to say, do you remember that time when you were in a hole and I watched you crawl your way out of it? Dad, you have no idea how much that inspired me yeah. because I was in a hole too and I watched you crawl out. Yeah. That is what should motivate you. And you can do that and just do it 20 reps at a time if that's what it takes. Yeah. But let them see you dig out. You have an opportunity to be a complete turnaround story for them. So if you're in that hole or heading towards that hole, I would say you have an opportunity. Yeah. If you, if, if, yeah. That's awesome. I hope it helps. And we have a good opportunity tomorrow, the 600s. 600s. (laughs) (laughs) Which we better rest up for. (laughs) Burning more weights. (laughs) Well, thanks, Ara, as always. Super helpful. Thanks, Dustin. I appreciate it. This has been a blessing. We'll continue on next month. Yes, sir. Awesome. See you very soon. Thank you.